Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Thank you again for coming and listening. I appreciate you being here and uh, taking the time to listen to this. Got another sermon for you today, uh, another Bible study that I hope will be a help and a blessing to you and all who like to study the Bible. Um, I preached this this past Sunday and uh, (laughs) not expecting it to do anything other than just be a a moment of edification and um, maybe a sermon that that would encourage our, stu- you know, our, our Bible-hungry uh, students uh, to dig dig deeper in their Bibles. As it turns out, uh, three people ended up getting saved. Uh, five people were baptized that day. It just ended up being a wonderful day in church. Now, I'm not suggesting it's because I preach this. When you hear the topic, you, <laughs> you will probably agree. Uh, but it's it just the way God used everything that day. It was just a tremendous blessing. What a what a good day it was. So. Praise the Lord for it. Uh, Now, our topic is David's future reign. Uh, The idea is, before we get into it, that David himself will will sit on his own throne, ruling over Israel in the future. So we're going to look at that. Now, I want to tell you how this came about, how this came to be. Recently, while teaching through the book of Daniel in Bible school, I briefly noted David's future reign over Israel in passing. It was just a, uh, it was, you know, we didn't have time to stop and talk about it. I just just mentioned it briefly and and intended to move on. But in in that class, I mentioned it. Um, you know, in that class, I mentioned several amazing ideas, prophetic prophetically speaking, that Scripture lays out. Um, but it was it was David that caught everybody's attention. David's future reign seemed to cause much dismay among some Bible school students, not all of them, just a few, and uh, some stayed after class and said, we will hear thee again of this matter. <laughs> uh, they, they said, what, you know, this, what's this babbler talking about? Now, to their credit, they heard something they were unfamiliar with or that appeared to be contrary to their currently held beliefs. And like the Bereans, they wanted verification from God's word. That's a good thing. That's not a that's not a bad thing. I'm not here to. Uh, this is not an opportunity to give those students a hard time. What they did was right. It was good. Um, they they were intrigued by something from the Word of God, and rather than just adopting adopting it, 
They want, can you show us where this is? Well, um, the problem for me was um, I was not prepared with notes to show them in depth uh, this reality. So uh, since it was an idea briefly mentioned, I was not prepared with notes to fully demonstrate the concept to their satisfaction. It is good that they felt the need to have it scripturally verified. It was a failure on my part not to have those notes ready. I've studied this doctrine. Uh, I have handwritten notes somewhere, but I did not have them available the day I was preaching in class. I typically memorize doctrine of this sort, at least enough to demonstrate it if asked. So when pastor, um, when our pastor, our church pastor asked me to preach for him yesterday, which would be Sunday, March 12th, I decided to kill two birds with one stone. I could prepare these notes and preach them this Sunday. Thus, we can provide the information needed for the curious Bible school students, and I will be able to instruct the congregation. So uh, it gave me an opportunity to preach, but it also gave me an opportunity to uh, not settle the matter, but but at least provide the information uh, so that those Bible school students who were more curious about it could could see what they needed to see and make their own decision. Ultimately, that's what needs to happen. They need to make their own decision. I don't expect them to parrot what I said. I do expect them to listen to it, write it down, take it home, chew it up, and uh, and then figure out what it is they believe in this regard. Um, now, this may not wholly convince the curious, uh, but it will provide uh, the necessary information to make for people to make their own decisions. Now, I, I like to, uh, when I'm preaching a sermon, uh, especially something of this sort, I like to have a thesis statement. So this is it. Jesus Christ at his second coming will redeem Israel and bring order to the nation by establishing a governmental structure over which David will reign. Right? That's the future. The Lord's going to create a government. He's going to set it in order. He's going to establish it by, by judgment and the order and establishment of that government will have a structure to it, and David will reign over Israel in that structure. All right, so we're going to start in Jeremiah uh, chapter 30, verses 1 through 11. Um, my notes do not have the verses pre... Uh, pre um, I, I usually look them up ahead of time and, and paste them in the notes, um, because the, the setup here with all the lights and everything that's going on, it's... Um, not conducive to having the Bible sitting here, which is what I prefer. Um, I'm, I may, um, I've got some ideas and plans in mind to change some things around so that I can better do that. But for now, I have to use a digital device. All right, Jeremiah 30. It is convenient. It's very convenient. But I, I prefer to have the book. I, I'm, I'm a bit more old school when it comes to that. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a straight betwixt two right now. <laughs> I, I greatly, greatly appreciate the convenience of having everything on a digital device that, that is synced in the cloud and you can just grab it anywhere. In fact, the, one of the problems that I have, people often call me and say, hey, do you have notes on this or that? I'm like I do, but they're in handwritten notebooks. And so I'd have to type them up and I just don't have time to do that. And so uh, now that I do most of it, in, in, I have a combination of of ways that I do things now. I do it both handwritten and digital. And uh, I think it's important for me to do that. I know it's extra work, but it's, it's good. It's helpful. It, it strengthens my, my resolve and my understanding. It makes me null over it more and, and uh, put it down repeatedly and, and 
when you when you wrote it by hand, when you read it, you thought one thing. When you wrote it by hand, you thought another. Then when it's time to type it up, you, you're, you're thinking through it even more. And so by the time you know, it gets where it's supposed to be, if I've gone through that entire process, sometimes I, I have to rush depending on the situation. But when I get to go through that entire process, um, I know the doctrine better. I know the passage better. I know the ideas better. Uh, I'm, I've thought through them more, so I believe I'm a little more coherent and, and clear. And anyways, um, I like it. I like doing it that way. But uh, I'm, I'm torn between the convenience of having everything on, on, on a laptop or a tablet uh, versus the nostalgia and, and just my general comfort level with having the physical book and the physical notebook. I, I prefer that. Uh, so I've, I've, cut, I've settled on a combination of the two that I think satisfies both. Now, that's not part of David's future reign. I just thought you might be interested in knowing that. So uh, that's extra for you. <laughs> All right, Jeremiah 30, we'll read verses 1 through 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. So right off the bat, what's the context? Israel and Judah. That's our context. That's who we're talking about. That's who this pertains to. Not the church, not to Gentiles, not anybody other than Israel and Judah. Israel being the northern tribe or the northern kingdom, uh, Judah being the southern kingdom, collectively they they make the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. Ten were in the north in the northern kingdom called Israel. Two were in the south in the southern kingdom called Judah. Together they are the nation of Israel. That's who the Lord's talking to. All right, now when we're talking about David reigning and being being king, he's their king. It's going to be over Israel. All right, so that, that's the context. We got to, I'm going to hammer that multiple times is that it because that that's where the that's where some at least maybe even a lot of the confusion comes in um people trying to put a square peg in a circular hole and then they wonder why it doesn't fit um the reason some of this confusion comes in is because people don't distinguish between Israel and the church they're not the same the church didn't replace Israel Israel will not put, replace the church they're two completely different entities that God deals with in two completely different ways all right, so just to state that from the onset, as I repeat repeatedly, Judah and Israel, they are the context. All right, verse, verse five, for thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not of peace. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail and all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. Again, who is Jacob? Israel. Jacob is called Israel. The Lord is telling you here, this is all a reference to the tribulation. The tribulation is a time of Jacob's trouble. Not the church, not Gentiles, not anybody else. Jacob, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's, that's who this belongs to. That's who it's talking about. That's the context. 
Um, it, it's unbelievably consistent every time it comes up. Uh, so it's just, it's up to us to just uh, humble ourselves and submit to that. Uh, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king. Again, future, prophetic, after the tribulation, after Israel is saved, uh, uh, having gone through the tribulation, David will be their king whom I will raise up unto them. All right, now one of the first things that people say is, well, David's dead. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand how that's an objection uh, to, to David's future reign. Yes, David is dead, but the Lord can raise him from the dead. Uh, there will be a future resurrection. The Bible speaks very clearly about resurrections of the dead and, and the Lord's ability and power over life in that regard. That's not an objection. That's not a problem for the Lord. Uh, David will be be brought back, physical life. I mean, he's going to be alive and sitting on 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 his throne. So um, that's something we have to look forward to in the future. Verse ten. Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, Israel, saith the Lord. Neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return and shall be in rest and be, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of, of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. But I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. All right, so the Lord's dealing with Israel's, that, that's the purpose of the time of Jacob's trouble, is, is to punish them. It's to deal with their transgression, it's to bring an end to sin and iniquity. That's all Daniel 9, you know, the, the, the Lord is dealing with their transgression and bringing it, bringing it to an end. He's, he's finally, he's going to cleanse them of this, of this garbage and their rebellion and all the things that they um, have spent their time doing against the Lord. He's going to bring all that to an end. Now, just a few things to look at here, and, and then we'll move on. Verse 3, um, we first learn this passage directly affects Israel. I, I, I know I said it already, but I'm going to say it again just, just in case. Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, collectively they are the nation of Israel. So the Lord will overturn their captivity. That's coming. All right, right now, so, so they, they were taken captive into um Israel, the northern kingdom, was taken into Assyria. Judah, the southern kingdom, was taken into Babylon. Uh, uh, Judah was re- released and returned back to Jerusalem. But then at some point, the Lord scattered them, and now the Jews are scattered across the earth, and they live in every nation under the sun, essentially. Uh, the Lord will restore, restore them to the promised land. They're going to come back. They're going to be restored to their land, so they will be brought back to the promised land. In the context of the book of Daniel, this restoration takes place after Jesus smashes the image, which represents the time of the Gentiles. Israel will be restored, and they will again enjoy the land promised to them by the Lord. But their, their return to the promised land will exist with some form of governmental structure. They're not just going to be laying around sleeping all day. You know, in, in the future, in the millennial kingdom, even in the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, I mean, we're going to be busy people. So it'd be good to just practice that now. <laughs> um, 
I don't know that that we can demonstrate from the Word of God that at some point the Lord's just going to give us a life of laziness and ease. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. Now it might be easy compared to you know how we live now, um, but but I think the Lord's future is going to contain some sort of service, worship, work, labor. I mean, we have a working God, and I believe He's going to prepare us possibly to do the same. What will it be? Uh, other than praising the Lamb, you know, constantly, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't have any suggestions for that. I just uh, that seems to be a good principle. The Lord expects us right now to be working people, and so I don't think that's going to change when we pass from this life to the next. So Israel will be brought back into their land. And they're going to serve under some form of governmental structure. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. Um, Now, verse 4, the words that the Lord uh, spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. Once again, we see the context concerns Israel and Judah. We, We have to establish this because much of the confusion surrounding future events comes from failing, not just future events, um, so much doctrine so many people are taken advantage of in the name of Christianity because they've never studied their Bible, and if they have, they haven't studied it in light of rightly dividing, and it makes a huge difference. You can fall for some silly things if you don't know how to properly divide your Bible, and, and you need to learn how to do that. Look, it's, it's, a, it's biblical instruction, rightly dividing the word of truth. You're, you're, you and I are told to study so that we can rightly divide, and it's not only pleasing to God, you know, but but it's it 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 builds a foundation for you and I to be able to stand on, so that when something pops up, we can say, no, that's not right. I can show you why from the Word of God. Now, Israel's restoration and David returning to the throne all concern Israel's future, not mine, not yours, not the church, not Gentiles. It's this is about David and Israel. They have little to no relationship with the church. Uh, there may, may be some slight overlap here and there, but, but generally speaking, the lines are pretty cut and clear. Verse 5, and we see whether a man doth travail with child. That's verse 5, verse 6, uh, verse 7 might mention a little bit about it. Uh, whenever you see the phrase travail with child, it almost always references Israel going through the tribulation and then being set free from that time of tribulation. Uh, look at Look at real fast if you if you're following along and have your Bible. Look at John 16. Um, this will help illustrate the idea. John 16, and uh, I believe it's verse 21. Yeah, verse 21. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. So, so this is the picture. This is the idea the Lord's trying to give us. Israel is going to go through the tribulation. It's going to be a time of travail. Men are going to be stooped over with their hands on their knees as though they're in labor. They're going to be in so much pain and discomfort. And, and, um, and, and then they're going to look at their wife and say, wow, <laughs> that's what you did? <laughs> uh, maybe not. But, um, but the point, is, the illustration is the time of Jacob's trouble is a time of, of just sorrow, pain, discomfort. And and the picture is a woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, all right, so as soon as Israel is delivered, as soon as the Lord comes back, puts down their enemies, restores Israel, as soon as that happens, 
the travail is over, the trouble is over, the pain is over. Uh, they can now they can now handle and, and go through and deal with um, um, their restoration and all the Lord has coming to them. So we we see that in in Jeremiah thirty, but it's with reference to the tribulation and Israel going through the tribulation. And again, I said Israel because only Israel will go through the tribulation, um, not not the church. The church will be gone. Um, so, anyways, that that's the picture. That's the idea. Um, this idea gives us the timing, po- pointing us to the tribulation and the second coming. That's the that's the point of what the Lord is talking about here. Now, verse nine: They shall serve the Lord their God. So the Lord the Lord is maintaining His position as their God, though He's going to have someone else reign over Israel as the political leader. That will be David. So the, they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king. We've already established the context of this passage. It is the future restoration of Israel after the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, this pertains to the book of Daniel, which I was teaching when this question came up, uh, because we're in Daniel chapter 2, and that image in Daniel chapter 2 takes us from the time of Nebuchadnezzar, who is the head, all the way to the ten toes, those ten toes, which represent ten kings who will come up in the tribulation period. And then that stone cut out without hands is Jesus Christ will come back, smash that, 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 put down those 10 kings, smash the image, establish his own kingdom, and then turn the throne over to David. Uh, so that's what we have to look forward to. Um, now, if this is not the context, if the future is not the context, it's very confusing because Jeremiah lived long after David. <laughs> so he's not prophesying. It doesn't work to prophesy backwards. That's not prophecy. Um, the way it works is you prophesy about what's coming, and then it comes to pass, and everybody knows that you were you were a prophet sent from God. Uh, but if you look back and say, you know, Hitler will take over Germany, that's not prophetic. <laughs> All right, so so obviously it's looking forward, and you want to make sure to to keep that in mind. All right, now. We know this is future, which means the Lord will restore David as the king of Israel in the future. Israel and Judah will serve the Lord their God, and they will serve David their king. Now, after Jesus returns to earth and establishes his kingdom, he will set the government in order and then turn it over to David. Now, look, let's, let's look at the Lord's. The Lord himself has a throne. All right, so he's not going to have... He's not going to give the throne to David and then stand around like, where do I sit down? You know, that's <laughs> that's not what's happening here. He's not losing his place. He's not losing his authority. Um, um, but let, let's let's look at that real fast. Luke chapter 1, and let's look at verses 30 through 33. Um, that, that way we can see the Lord has his own throne. And uh, though he has given the throne of David, he, it, it is given to him by his father. He can do with it what he wills. It's up to him. All right, so Luke 1, verse 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God shall give him, give unto him the throne of his father David. So it's it's undisputable that throne is given to Jesus Christ. Um, that's what the passage clearly says. That throne rules over the house of Jacob, which is Israel. That throne will be given to Jesus by his father. This verse alone is often the passage that confuses. They say, well, it was given to Jesus. 
How can David sit on it? Well, Jesus can give it to whoever he wants. He's not losing his position or place by turning it over to David. In fact, it's prophetic that he's going to do that. We're going to look at that. I mean, we've already seen it in Jeremiah 30, but we're going to look at it in numerous other places. It says very clearly, David will reign over Israel. Um, so it's it's not, I just, I don't see, I guess I don't see it as as difficult a doctrine to to receive as some. I don't, I don't get the, um, I presume, and, and, and this is not coming from a place of arrogance, I'm, I'm genuinely trying to understand, but I presume that the reason it, it's, it's not adopted so easily is because of a lack of information. With what we're going to read today, if you don't adopt it, not because it's me, my pastor taught me this, uh, I think he did a great job, I think he pointed out very clearly, uh, I think it's I mean, I think Jeremiah 30 verses 1 through 11 alone demonstrate it, uh, but these other passages just go, go on to build, to build the reality. All right, so the Lord can give David that throne. It belongs to him. He can put on it whoever he wants. Look at Revelation 5, we'll read verses 5 through 6, and uh, we'll look at the Lord, the Lord himself having a throne. Revelation 5 verses 5 and 6. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So the, the, the Lord, that he has this special place. Verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So the Lord has a throne. He's standing in the midst of that throne there in Revelation 5. Look at Revelation 22. Revelation chapter uh, 22, verses 1 through 5. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his and and, and his name shall be in in their foreheads, and there shall be no more night there. So the Lord the God the Father and the Lamb have a throne. Um, that's, that's, there's, he's not going to lack a place if he gives this throne over to David. Um, let's look at Revelation 19, verses 16, or 11 through 16. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in, the, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were uh, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, and clothed in linen, and white and clean, and that would be us, that would be the church. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, 
and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he hath a name on his vesture and on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So at the time of his second coming, Jesus Christ is king over kings, and he is Lord over lords. There, there's not just one king. There are more than one. All right, now let's, let's establish that one more time just so we can, we can see it and be convinced of it, and then we'll move on. Revelation 20, 21, verses 23 through 25. Uh, let's see what that says. Revelation 21, verses 23 through 25. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, uh, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations, so this is new Jerusalem, uh, new heaven, new earth, and, and even at this time there are nations. Let's see what it says. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth. Right, so there are multiple kings on the earth at this time, coming to pay on, to give honor to the Lord to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so it's not unreasonable that David is one of those kings. It's just I don't see that as an issue as a problem. So, so the, this the the point of this section is to establish Jesus Christ has his own throne, so he's not going to be without a throne if he gives it over to David. Uh, that's the first thing. Secondly, um, there will be multiple kings on the earth during the. During the time of the Lord's second coming, and in the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, it it, it doesn't cease at that time. So, um, I I don't see those as being objections. David, the Lord can easily raise David from the dead with no problem. We've seen him demonstrate that all through the Word of God. He's going to do it to you and me. We have a coming resurrection. Uh, he's going to there's going to be a resurrection of the dead in which they will be judged and and then cast into the lake of fire. Resurrection is not an issue. Um, and, and neither is the idea that the Lord, you know, is giving up the throne of David to David. He promised he was going to do that. All right, now let's look at Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, uh, and we'll look at verses 6 and 7. And this is going to help establish that order that the Lord is speaking of, or that I was telling you about. For unto us a child is born, and we read that in Luke 1, that child is Jesus, and he was given the throne of David. All right. So, uh, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It will be done. Now we have this image of the Lord's government as a one-man show over which the Lord alone will rule and reign. The indication throughout Scripture is that the Lord, the Lord will be uh, the head of, of this government, uh, and others will serve with or under him. For, instance, for example, the, the, the church will rule and reign with Christ, all right? David will serve under Christ. All right, those just two quick examples. This doesn't exist because the Lord is incapable or weak, but instead because it's the Lord's design. He chooses to include Israel and chooses to include the church 
Uh, the structure of that government appears to be ordered like this. This is my suggested structure of the government. Number one, the Lord Jesus Christ is head of all things. That's Colossians, or Ephesians 1, 19-23, Colossians 2, 9-10. Jesus will be the head. Just because he gave the throne to David to rule over Israel doesn't mean Jesus lost that place of authority. David is still subject to the head, Jesus Christ. Uh, the church will rule and reign with Christ. That's Revelation 1, 6. Second uh, Timothy two twelve. We shall also reign with him. And First uh, Corinthians six verses one through two says, "Do you not know that the saints will judge the world?" All right. So that's that's interesting. Next, you have David who will rule over Israel. That's Jeremiah thirty verse nine. That's Hosea three verses three through five. Uh, he'll do that forever. By the way, uh, the apostles will judge the twelve tribes. That's Matthew nineteen twenty eight, Luke twenty two twenty eight through thirty. Now, it's interesting to note, it says they will judge. They are going to sit on thrones, um, but it says they will judge the 12 tribes. It does not say they will reign over them. I mean, make of that what you will. I, I, I'm not saying that they're going to lack authority, but um, I, I, you know, I don't know what to make of that exactly. So um, Israel then will rule over the nations. That's Isaiah 14, 1 through 2. In fact, the Lord says they will, they will rule over their oppressors. <laughs> Well, they're scattered and oppressed all over the world right now. So that is their lot. The government will have a biblically defined order with Christ as its head and kings serving under him. The Lord, the Lord once left his throne to atone for sin. He will leave that throne again to establish order and judgment in Israel. He will establish this order and judgment through the throne of David. Once complete, at some point, the Lord will turn that throne over to David, and he will, David will reign forever. The book of Isaiah is prophetically looking forward to the Lord's return. This hasn't happened yet, but, but the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. You can bank on it. It's going to happen. Uh, it will be settled forever when Christ reestablishes David's throne. That's going to happen. There's no way around it. There's no question about it. It's going to happen. Uh, now let's go to Ezekiel twenty, or Ezekiel thirty-four, Ezekiel thirty-four, and we're going to look at verses twenty-two through thirty-one. It'll be a lot of Bible reading, uh, but that's okay. That's what you came here for. Um, that's the important part. The less I speak <laughs> outside of reading um, the Word of God, the better. Um, the more edified you will be. Ezekiel 34, 22. Therefore will I save my flock, and they shall no more be a prey, and I will judge between cattle and cattle, and I will set up one shepherd. Who might that be? I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. And I will make, and I will make with them a covenant of peace, and will, will cause the evil beast to cease of that day, uh, uh, out of the land, and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them uh, and the places round about my hill a blessing. And I will cause the shower to come down in a season. And there shall be showers of blessing, and the tree of the field shall yield her fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase, and they shall be safe in their land. 
all good stuff. And the Lord and and shall know that I am the Lord, and I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them out of the hand of, of those that serve themselves of them. And they shall no more be a prey to the heathen, uh, neither shall shall the beast of the land devour them, and they shall dwell safely, and none shall make them afraid. That was God's original intent if Israel had remained faithful, but they, they refused. Uh, verse 29, and I will raise up for them a plant of renown, and they shall be no more uh, consumed with hunger in the land, neither bear bear the shame of the heathen any more. Thus shall they know that I am the Lord their God and with them, and that they, even the house of Israel, are my people, saith the Lord God. And ye, my flock, the flock of my pasture, are men, and I am your God, saith the Lord. So, I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, the Lord will be their God. David will be their prince. Now, the word prince in the Bible almost always refers to a king. It, it almost never refers to a king in waiting, uh, as we're accustomed to using it. Um, the, it. In the Bible, when it refers to a prince, if you look at the context, 99.9% of the time, it's talking about someone who already has that political power. And so David is is called their prince. He's also called their king. We'll see it in just a moment. Look at Ezekiel 37. It's going to put the two together. The king is the prince. And, and, and we'll see that. Ezekiel 37, verse 15 through 25. So let's go to Ezekiel 37. And we'll look at verses 15 through 25. 37, 15. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover, the son, moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Will thou not show us what thou meanest by these? Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick out of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stock of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in in mine hand. And the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thine hand before their eyes, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations. So he's going to this spread out two kingdoms, and then people spread across the nations. He's going to make them one nation again. He's going to bring them back together. Um. Make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. One nation with one king. Who will that king be? Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them, so shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. Uh, I mean, that's that's the point. You can read the rest of this. It goes all the way down to verse 28. 
Um, David will be king. I mean, that's, we, you know, most Bible believers believe all the prophetic information about Israel's future, the tri- going through the tribulation, dealing with the things they're going to have to deal with. Uh, why would you leave out the reality that David is going to be their king and rule over them? Uh, I, I mean, it seems pretty clear to me. In fact, we're going to look at it one more time, one more verse, Hosea 3, verses 4 through 5. And then uh, I will sum it up, and we will be done with this. Hosea 3, and uh, verses 3 through 5. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man, so, so will I also be for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king. Now what, what you're about to read is a description of Israel in the time of the Gentiles until Jesus comes back and establishes his throne. They'll abide many days without a king, without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without a teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Now that term, the latter days, is always a reference to Israel going through the tribulation and, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. They, they belong together. They go together. It's important. And, um, and so it, it, that, that's the connection there. Now, let's, let's wrap this up. Uh, this is the actual passage, passage, Hosea 3, that calls me to bring up this idea in Bible school. Uh, we were discussing the image of Daniel 2, which represents the times of the Gentiles, During this period, the Jews will have no king, no prince, no sacrifice. These things will not be restored until the Lord himself smashes that image and brings an end to Gentile powers. The term latter days refers to Israel in the tribulation. They will again seek the Lord and David, whom the Lord identifies as their king. He will be king over Israel and reign forever. Now we started with the thesis statement. Let me end with it. Jesus Christ at his second coming will redeem Israel and bring order to the nation by establishing a governmental structure over which David will reign. I believe what I have shown you bears out that reality. Now, again, like I told the Bible school students, it's up to you to take this information and do what you want with it. Um, I don't think it's a point of fellowship necessarily. I don't think it's a point of argumentation. I don't think we need to fight over it. If you've got a different idea, send me an email. Great. I'll look at it. Um, but I think what we've seen is pretty clear. The Lord will return. He will establish the government, order the government, establish it in justice and in judgment. And then he's going to turn it over to David. And David will reign over Israel. Israel. The time of Jacob's trouble. Israel. The tribulation. Israel. <laughs> you got to say these things repeatedly because as clear as it seems to be in the word of God, it just doesn't seem to be as clear in, in broader uh, Christianity today. And so we'd like to see those things fixed and corrected. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media.
Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Thank you.